there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode, you may know my guest as the awards editor for Rotten Tomatoes, where she is one of the co-hosts of the podcast Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a journalist who has interviewed countless celebs and moderated panel discussions at various film festivals, or even as a lover of Billy Wilder. But here on The Gala Show, I know her as the very first guest customer that we had on Video Archives, Jacqueline Coley. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me or coming to me. I yeah. love that you come to me. This is I know. awesome. This is, you have a wonderful space <laughs> full of like these beautiful objects that are very, well, they're spooky right now because it's yes. almost Halloween. Yes. And this gorgeous poster of coffee. Yes. I'm not going to let you. This is my pride and joy. She costs more than my first car. It is a old school 70s. So that means that it's, uh, I don't even know how this is. I guess it's 10 or six by six by eight maybe ten something like that six by nine it's feet. huge yeah it's huge almost life-size practically of the french uh coffee title which is the black panther of harlem is the translation oh my gosh that's a great title i never yeah. even knew that that was the title speaking of billy wilder he's over there with the apartment and that is the italian version of that film over there i love it before we bring up the topic for today, I have one question for you. So I think everyone knows that you love Billy Wilder, hence the poster of the apartment right there. <laughs> but what is one movie that you really love that you think that people wouldn't assume that you'd like? A movie that I really love that people would not assume that I like. There's a lot, actually. You know, there's. it depends on what you ask it for, but I will say, in particular, hmm, one, let me think. Let me, let me give a good answer for this. A movie that I like that you would be surprised to know how much I like. I don't think that one's very surprising. What's not surprising? Well, I was gonna say Stand By Me, but I was a kid during that time, so like that's not like, you yeah, know. People understand. The, actually, I have it, because actually I do have it. Um, you have to know about me, you have to know about where I grew up to understand why I like this movie so much, and you have to know about my family, but Young Guns, which just announced that they're doing a 4K steel box. Oh, are you excited? I got the email for that, and I instantly went to the Best Buy exclusive and bought it instantly without question, no asking, because I love both Young Guns 1 and Young Guns 2. I love ranch settler films. I love westerns. My dad, uh, the reason why I started watching TCM is TCM, where I grew up, used to have westerns on Saturdays, and it would be westerns early in the morning and move into musicals at night. 
and me and my dad kind of split the day. He would watch a lot of John Wayne. My dad owned every single John Wayne Western that was ever made. He so it's a really personal connection with you. He, I mean, I wouldn't call it personal as much as like historical. Like it's like I didn't have a personal affinity to, to John Wayne in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> but I have an affinity to my father and his love of John Wayne. In fact, when we were clearing out his house after he passed, I oh. very much had to pull out like... I was like, this This is another one? Because there was like Western specials. It wasn't just what he did in theaters. This man was just on set in Warner Brothers Ranch just making movies the entire time oh he was gosh, alive. I love that. Now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. Jacqueline, what are we going to be talking about today and why did you decide to choose it? I really want to talk about what I consider to be the new Hollywood shift of the streaming era. Like we are, we, they just ratified the WGA contract. I'm anxiously looking at my phone hoping that we ratify the SAG contract soon. And in this moment, I feel like as we look around the Hollywood landscape, if you're a student of film history, it is very similar to right before the Hayes Code went down mm. in the 40s and the 50s in the sense that you know, they were making all of these big musicals. You could make the argument that the studio system musicals, they just kept churning out Ethel Merman, is very similar to what the studios are doing right now with superhero movies and the sort of disposable IP. They were doing the same thing back then. You exactly. know, sometimes they were just remaking the same movie that they had just made four years ago over again and changing the name and maybe one of the lead players. Um, get Fred Astaire to dance with a different girl and call it something else when it's exactly the same. And I think that's what we're having right now in Hollywood. And that frustration, along with good legislation, and I think the legislation that is going to be enacted soon with studios, some of these like key things that are happening with folks like Taylor Swift, things that are happening with AI, things that are happening with the studio acquisition process, and the mergers and acquisitions that have sort of been a big part of the streaming era and the streaming era bundle popping, like that tempest of things is very similar to the 1940s when it was the churning out of music, movie musicals. It was the indie features in the horror space of people like Corman and other folks that trained the next round of young gung filmmakers who eventually became the Coppola, Scorsese's, and De Palma's of the world. And that is also with political unrest and also government unrest. And this is also right around the time that Hollywood started striking for residuals. Whether people realize it or not, New Hollywood was born out of the fact that people had money to invest in independent film because of television residuals. Some of the first big moguls, like Corman, started on TV. But first, time for a commercial break. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and jelly and peanut flavor topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. 
perfect. Then we're going to be talking about streaming, the 40s, the Hayes Code. <laughs> and I'm also excited to be talking about like what this means for audiences and also what it means for people that work in the industry. So I have 30 minutes on the clock and our time starts now. Yeah, it was like a long-winded answer. But yeah, it's just like there's a lot of parallels. There's just like a lot of parallels to then to now. And although I don't have the answer for it, it's such an exciting time. It's a fearful time. I'm not I gonna think pretend. you actually made me excited. Yeah. Because when you started saying, oh, it's going to rise up the people like the Roger Cormans and everyone that yeah. trains all these amazing filmmakers that I, as an audience member, am yearning for. Yeah. I miss those times. And and look, it, it's, it's coming out, you know, audiences are stupider. Audiences have less patience. Audiences can't invest. And I just want to remind people, four years ago, audiences flocked to Parasite and made that a huge hit. And it was not because that was an accessible movie or a even tied to one genre type movie. If you make really good films and you know how to speak to audiences and rely on them to be smart enough to like them, I think that you can make impactful and moving cinema. And look, I am never going to say anything bad about Martin Scorsese. I think he is a man that very much yearns for what I'm talking about to happen. He just had a talk at London Film Festival where he sort of mentioned that. But in the back of my mind, I also know that he is very aware that he is not going to be the band leader about this. He's essentially the cheerleader in the back. Like, hope, hopefully the kids will fix it for me. He's the old guard. Yeah, he's very much the old guard. And so... What's interesting for him is the people that were the old guard when he came up were the Jack Hudson's of the world and the um, the William Wymers and to a certain extent my favorite filmmaker Billy Wilder. Those guys aging out um, were not what gave way to the new place. But what I also think is interesting is even when that time was happening, even in that like run and gun time of New Hollywood, Scorsese wasn't the largest champion of that. He was he was. He was a studio guy. Yeah, he you know, was. He, he very much operated within the system, and he operated. Um, he was a good business partner, even when his films didn't make money. I, it's so funny right now. You can tell with Killers of a Flower Moon, Apple is really betting on an eventized moment, like they got with Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. uh, aided by Barbie. I'm not going to pretend like that was a singular event, but the idea that Christopher Nolan made an R-rated, cinematic auteur st- type of independent original idea, and that it has nearly made a billion dollars, probably will make a billion dollars. And the people who never have seen film before went and saw it in 70 millimeter. Absolutely. And they were sold out shows, so much so that my friends in Dallas who love film could not get seats and the theaters had to add more More. show show dates. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And that is what I'm saying. It's like, Martin Scorsese is not Christopher Nolan, never has been. Mm -hmm. He's been more of the guy that plays within the rules of the system. And clearly now, as much as he like, derails content the movie studios that he's made his last three films with have a director of content they don't have a director of like theatrical yeah because that's uh he did irishman with app with a netflix Netflix, and now he's doing killers with apple and then before that he did what was his last movie before that oh yikes i don't know to be honest to be honest but anyway just this idea of like there are other people out there who I think are not only going to be the champions of this new thing, but they're also going to be the band leaders. It's funny when you talk about Parasite and you said like it's not necessarily an accessible film. I, I'm not someone who likes streaming. I am actually repelled by streaming. I don't have Netflix. I don't have Hulu. Oh, girl. Um, I have, the good I have Discovery Plus for my crime shows and my 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> That's my junk. Do you have the Criterion I, channel though? No, I don't have the Criterion channel. Ooh. I have Arrow Player, but only because I did an Arrow Select. So I'm not, I'm not a streamer. But 
one thing I think that streaming did that was good for audiences was introduce subtitles to the wider public. It made it so that people really started reading subtitles and so that they did find accessibility going to the theater to see a foreign film that had subtitles. Don't disagree with you. I also think um, social media did that as well, too. Yeah. Just the way that people talk about how, like, on Instagram, people, you know, captions versus non-captions mm-hmm. and the accessibility issue of that. So I don't disagree with you on that. When I say Parasite is inaccessible, it's not that I think the film is even inaccessible, but it's like, okay, describe Parasite the movie. Well, yeah, that's You know thing. what I mean? People, like, people aren't going to go see a Korean, like a fully Korean with maybe a director they don't know. Like just general audiences at an AMC, a director a they don't know. A sociopolitical thriller. horror thriller about a bunch of people they don't speak the language, yeah. they don't know the culture, anything about it. It's a lot of people's first foray into Korea. Yeah, exactly. So, so that whole idea Again, it's not even that. It's sort of like, oh, okay, you're going to advertise Barbie. It's like, oh, it's the movie about the doll, but it's got some really great comments on we life. All, we all played with Barbies. Yes. Okay. Hear about, you know, the guy, hear, or the, give the tagline for Oppenheimer. Here is the guy that you could argue is one of the most influential men of the 21st century. As he far made as the bomb. He made the bomb that has literally ruled our lives. It's currently, like, one of the biggest news stories right now is very much related to his creation in the sense that Israel is potentially at war yeah you know that it that makes that so much realer you look at what's happening in russia the reason why all of these conflicts are even more heightened than they used to be is because of that invention so yeah. obviously like his it's in our zeitgeist it's in our zeitgeist so i think the the thing that's that's really interesting about all that is with a film like parasite is it shows that hey that's the type of cinema that will save it so because, why, why do people think that audiences are stupid if like just four years ago they were because, going to go see that because of how they're doing stuff right now because they keep giving them junk food and they keep eating it that's why they think they have stupid. an addiction they have an addiction so like i'm not going to say that um i don't love the superhero movies in fact a ton of them i've lived a lot for but i'd be lying if i didn't feel for the most part, a significant number of them after Endgame feel like eating junk food. Like they don't feel like one, they're leading to anything. And I'm not just saying the Marvel movies, I'm talking about there was the Dark Knight trilogy with yeah. WB, which I think is really interesting and exciting. I'm not gonna pretend like the Spider-Verse franchise isn't doing great things. There are aberrations, but the big level multi-million dollar movies that they're putting out, whether it be superhero movies, whether it be the latest Indiana Jones, whether it be Charlie's Angels, it's the all reboot. regurgitated. You know what I mean? Uh, Men in Black, the reboot. It's just like all of this stuff feels like junk. Food. Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka. They're going to get a Wonka movie again. Um, and the, the one thing I will push back on is everyone's always like, oh, Hollywood's out of ideas. Hollywood's been out of ideas since the beginning. If you look at all of the old movies of yesteryear, <laughs> they're all a lot of them based on books. Yeah, Universal, or based on movies that were already made. Yeah, the Universal Monster series, it's like every one of them is based off of a book. You want to talk about one of the first big blockbusters, Gone with the Wind, based off of a book. Or Disney, like all the Disney cartoons. Yeah, based all off of folk fairy tales, tales and folktales. Hollywood's been running out of ideas since its inception. It's nothing new. The difference is audiences used to read more Mm -hmm. and so there were books that were part of the zeitgeist so that's when we switched to comic books is because they became the books of the zeitgeist Mm -hmm. it is a reflection of our lack of reading literature that comic books became so prevalent that articles became the basis of movies rather than books and tweets now and tweets like literally actually i have actually i will defend that though because zola is a fire movie and that is based off of you know which oh, the, one the, the, yeah the, the tweet the series of tweets that is a fire movie shout out to uh janix bravo because that is one of the 
uh, greatest uh, road trip comedies out there. I love that movie so much. But yeah, it could be tweets. It could be articles. And so that is why I think people think audiences are dumber. Is And before they were taking the rich world of somebody like, you know, the incredibly racist, racist Margaret Mitchell or the incredible... Um, storyteller that is Octavia Butler or mm-hmm. Toni Morrison. These were films of yesteryear that were, or Alice Walker, and they're taking those films and adapting them into movies that can still be rich. And now they just all feel like the last season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, which I didn't even watch, to be As honest. As a non-streamer, I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, I watched like all of it up until maybe the last two seasons. Yeah, no, when they killed Massandra, I'm going to tell this story. This is actually really funny. I was at a party. I'm not going to say where, but because it, it was like one of those parties that I should not have been at. It was a friend of mine who's <laughs> bougier than me, invited me to a party. And I'm at this party, and they were there. And I just, it was right, it was like a month after they'd killed Missandre, the black girl yeah. on that. And I'd already, I had been fighting in the comments on like, I, you don't get it. The love story between Grey Worm and Missandre, that is black love on screen. I will forgive them. <laughs> I will forgive the rape and the murder and so many other things about their shitty storytelling and misogyny. But that's, they got her. They killed her and I just, I just. You were turned, like, I'm done, I'm out. I was so done. I was like a woman scorned and they were at this party and I just looked at them them with just so much like I realized at that point I was like I've put too much into the show because I just looked at them like there was a month ago I would have like run up to be so happy oh for yeah it. And it then felt like now you want to strangle them it, made, it felt like a boyfriend like betrayal oh my god you got yeah you got betrayed well that's like how I felt with Walking Dead when they and I know that that was in the comics yeah so it had to happen with Glenn with Glenn oh yeah no I I knew that was happening I knew what it was they happening. did it was so though is brutal, they though. messed with it it was so brutal they shouldn't have done it the way that they did it they could have had that happen and then given us like have that be the penultimate episode yeah it's the it's how they like divided you know what it was they got cute with it i remember that i have a recording somewhere of my reaction to that moment and how mad it made me because i used to go to like oh god this saves my age i used to go to walking dead bars and we used to do our sunday watch parties this was like (laughs) we would do that and then we'd follow it up with the chris hardwick after show yeah oh my god that that that, that dates it right there we were like looking forward to it too (laughs) anyway so that that moment kind of broke people but you know what they said later, they're like, oh, people don't like cliffhangers anymore. It's like, not for something that we know is going to happen. But also, I think that people don't like cliffhangers anymore. And maybe this is kind of like the one thing is also like, going back to streaming is how people watch media now. Yes. You don't have to wait every single week to get your new episode. You just binge it. Yeah. You know, they say that though, but then I think about The Good Place. Oh, yeah. And how that left right when she found out. You know, so I think, no, I think there are times when people like cliffhangers, if they actually feel that they're worthy of something, um, there's a lot of stuff to that. I don't know, bringing it back to the to the moment right now we are with Hollywood, it's like, I really do feel like for as many people are like, movies are going to decline or whatever, I really do feel it is very much going to be like vinyl. Oh, that's good. You know, like people have been trying to count vinyl out for decades and vinyl just surpassed CDs as it, the current physical media, as you see. Yeah, my, I see your collection. I have a col- and I have a collection have, at home. This is the small version of this. The ones this is I'm, like the living room. collection. This is the living room collection. We have way more of that storage closet back there. This is the ones that still make it through the party. Do you have like a favorite? Um, right now, I would say that I'm listening to the Beyonce album still very much. Mm-hmm. Um, anything by Nicholas Bertel 
uh, is in heavy, heavy rotation. But right now, I was just listening to um, the Oppenheimer score because I'm getting ready to talk to Ludwig coming oh, up soon. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, he's... That's me. The guy's good a genius. Job. Any guy that can that can give you the underscore of one of the most significant moments of history and do Grammy Award winning records with, like, Rihanna. Yeah. Dude's he's, he's got playing, range. He's, yeah, he's playing all fields. Dude's got range. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like being a swimmer and a football star. Yes, seriously, seriously. Got a Grammy for that one with Rihanna, which is, which is so cool. But, yeah, no, that moment that we're in right now, this sort of, like, swirling of a lot of competing interests – what Taylor Swift um, also and Beyonce are doing right now with their concert movies is going to be something that sends shockwaves through Hollywood because they self-funded and self-produced those and do in part do the writer strike, but do in part because they're two boss bitches that can do it. They are going directly to AMC and splitting it directly with AMC and cutting out the studios. Which is a really good, I mean, Fathom Events was like kind of doing something similar like with creators and Fathom Events. And now they're just going straight to AMC. And what's also good about that is because Ticketmaster was just gouging prices so much that fans can't even get in, but they can go see the concert movie. Yeah. So that sort of that those sort of moments are things that make the industry have to pause. And a lot of times with this industry, they will get over and exploit people as long as they think they can. And things like the Taylor Swift Beyonce deal, that is now something that Hollywood has to deal against. Yeah. So they have to now and acknowledge say it, and acknowledge to be like, hey, it's sort of like the same thing that's happening right now in sports um, with like Messi getting ownership and choosing to come to the United States. That is going to be the difference between people being invested in these enterprises long term versus people being invested in these enterprises short term is when Mm -hmm. they realize that you can't exist in this complete inequality. Because I think the thing with Taylor, she didn't want to do the press they wanted her to do. She didn't want to do the commitments that they wanted her to do to lead up to it. She was like, I just want to put this out. Like, I don't want to have to do all the stuff they all want me to do to do it. And they kept on making demands on both the financials as well as the details. And so she was just like, no, I'll just do this by myself. Now, if you don't think the next person making a concert movie is going to be like, I can just do this by myself. Ed Sheeran, Harry Styles. And also these are people that have huge teams behind them and huge dedicated teams that they trust. That's another thing is that you really have to trust the people that you're working with. And if you have all these outside people making demands of you, why bother doing with them if they make it difficult? If they make it difficult. And so now knowing that that upper echelon of talent can be taken away from them unless they do better, they've got to make better deals to keep those people. Which also means the people at the next rung are going to get similar deals to what the previous people got for theirs. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, it, it builds upon itself. It really does. A rising tide does build all boats. And the only reason why it does is because um, Hollywood does not have pay transparency in the sense of like everybody yeah. knows everybody's wage. Because it's all different. It's all different. But when things like the Taylor Swift and Beyonce happen, people know the details. And yeah. so now they are like, well, now we know. And then depending on the agency that you work with, agents talk. It's like, hey, what did what did you get for this mm-hmm. comic to do this? What did you get? That's like the value of agents and agencies. And again, it just takes a few more of those unprecedented moves. You have people like Francis Ford Coppola, Kevin Costner, and a whole bunch of these other legacy directors self-financing. Yeah. Because they can. Because they can. Let one of them have a successful movie make a lot of money without a studio. Because like Costner partnered with Warner Brothers. They're his long-term partner. But if Coppola ends up being able to go different and just directly release and make a crap But it'll have to hit. It would have to hit. But the minute you get one hit, it's over. Yeah. 
That's like it's sort of like the, the reason why. Uh, it's funny, I got my, my screener today for Air. Very watchable movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. All, made by a streamer, but I, I really do respect it. That movie is about how they signed Michael Jordan to yeah. get his shoe. After that, every other sports shoe deal after that had to have revenue sharing. Oh, I didn't know that. The major ones. Yeah. Now, they don't get the deal that Jordan gets. Of course not. Because he got like because the greatest deal ever. Jordan. But pretty much all of them have some degree of revenue sharing with their name being on it. And they should because it's your name that you're because lending to the product and your yeah. name is what's selling the product. Now they may have more caps and that kind of things that make it a little bit different, but overall they just they they're able to live in that a lot differently and so it only takes one. So it only takes one Taylor Swift or now two Beyonce to do that. So what does this have to do with the Hayes code? So this is what it has to do with that. The thing that I would say with people like Corman and those guys did is they showed that you could make movies that audiences flock to without being a part of the studio system and that these directors were good directors. That proven track record over there allowed them to then go make movies at studios and they covered their bet, which then made people stop doing what they were doing, which is basically the farm system of assistant directors to directors. Mm -hmm. They started looking at people who didn't come from the traditional filmmaker backgrounds, making good and exciting films. A lot of these guys didn't even go to film school. Yeah, And so that precedent allowed it to, to, to sort of permeate. And this precedent now with Beyonce as far as distribution allows that idea to sort of permeate with people. It's What's weird with Hollywood is they are very quick to tell you you can't do something. Well, because they want you to do it within their boundaries. And so the minute somebody shows that they can do it outside of the system that people have set forth, that becomes the new precedent. And the studios are always playing catch up with that. It's one of the reasons why they're so intractigent at times when uh, labor movements and other people try to tell them what they can't do. Yeah, and I think that the WGA deal is kind of an example of this. It is a very good deal. I'm a little trepidatious of it personally just because, I don't know, in some aspects it seems too good to be true, and then I've spoken to people that were striking actively and working on it, mm-hmm. and they were like, well, we could have gotten more and we should have gotten more, but really it wasn't about what the, we won as writers, but really what the studios lost. You know, and, and this is the thing. Um, I'm not a member of the WGA, I'm not a member of SAG, and I don't think that I could specifically speak to every aspect of the deal with any level of intelligence outside of Oh yeah, and I might not even be able to either. But the one thing I will say is if you look at the May 1st WGA revision, which was their first comment to basically the studios to say, this is what we want, and you compare that to what they got, the difference <laughs> between those two is not enough. Do you know what I mean when I say? Yeah, for so, the so time like that I was would, spent. The only thing I could say for sure in looking at this is I don't know the details of it, but I can look at those two documents as a journalist in plain day and say, on May 1st, they asked for this, and by the end of the strike, they got this. And I can put the difference between those two things in a very small column of difference. I think that's a pretty pretty evident of that. But then you just think of all the rumors that we heard about. They're never going to get this. 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 And they got it. You're never going to be able to distribute a movie without a studio and have it make over $500 million. That was a rumor, right? Mm-hmm. If Taylor Swift does that with this movie, then she just proved him wrong. I mean, this movie is going to make more than their Flash movie. Oh, it's going to make way more because also she has the fan base that's going to go out. And she has a fan base that maybe can't spend X amount of dollars on a ticket for her show, but they can spend 
15 bucks at the cinema. Yeah, and I think it'll rewrite also the types of things that will get people into theaters. Maybe it changes. Maybe it becomes more concert movies and comedy movies. Well, I think Fathom Events is a really good example of that because, like, um, my dad will always cite the Konosuba screening that we went to. And it was, like, it was an event, and it was one of the best screenings I've ever been to because everyone that was there wanted to be there. And so we had a really good audience that was being respectful and was just there to have fun. And I think... I look at things like what happened with the Minions movie, and I know this is, again, this is like a big corporate movie where it's just like they kept repeating it, but the original Gru is IP. It's original yeah. IP that they have just continued the to permeate. The Despicable Me. Yeah. So, Despicable Me. And so the Minions, even though they are a shoot-off of a shoot-off of a shoot-off in that respect, yeah. they still are making it interesting in the sense that when that movie came out, something completely unrelated to it, the Minions men mm-hmm. made it an event that people would to then go see it. Because everyone wanted to dress, and that was the same with like Barbenheimer. Exactly, and so I think what movie studios are hopefully going to start paying attention to is that, the eventization of films. Barbie is an example of that, as much as Beyonce and Taylor Swift. If we look at that, people are gonna say, if I can make my movie an event, do I need the studios? And if you can make your movie event without the studios, then no, you don't need the studios. And so like that's, I, again, I don't know what this ends up being. I don't think it's going to get rid of the studios. I think it's going to make the studios have to get serious about not just making movies, but about investing in the theatrical event. And I think they should because streaming kind of stripped that away. And it's interesting now that the streamers are kind of coming now and saying, oh, we're going to make a theatrical event. Like that Apple is the one doing yeah, that. Yeah, they, they are literally learning what we already knew, which is that you cheapen your product when you make it so readily available. Yeah. And so like, I also think there's going to be a contraction in the industry, mm-hmm. both with, again, there's just so many forces that are that are kind of creeping Pushing in. and pulling. The recession, and- uh, which was also a part of the 40s. Like they couldn't yep. afford to make those big budget musicals anymore. And so the movies kind of got a little bit smaller as, yeah. as a result and of that. maybe a little bit better. And a little bit better. <laughs> you know, it, again, I don't think they were always making bad movies, but I will say that I, I don't know enough about business to know what is going to be the switch to click it. But I do know enough about history to be like, the, the, the seeds are ripe and it's just like we just need this one little thing that's going to kick it over and maybe it's this Beyonce Taylor Swift thing that we'll look back on later maybe it's another movie like Metropolis if that comes out and becomes a hit and he completely distributes it independently would yeah. that work yeah maybe I also think that one of the most important things is like because everyone was stuck in lockdown and we were so isolated that people for a little while there was fear of like oh I have to return back to society but now that people are back in society they desperately want to be around others because yeah. it is human to be together and the movie theater is one of the most brilliant ways to do that because you're all living the same dream Mm. in a crowd you're all present you're not on your phones in your own little world you have to give yourself over to it people crave that they want to have fantasy and they want to see something that's better than life right now and i think we're kind of leaving i find the superhero movies a little bleak Mm. to be honest i find them it's a superhero that i can't relate to anymore because they kind of used to be human yeah and now they're not and the villains now are just these like alien hordes or these like demonic hordes it's like a bunch of people it's not like one person they're fighting against or a human villain like it kind of was classically we kind of need to return i think to traditional storytelling and i think that will help because then real people can relate and what's really interesting is i feel like we're watching places like netflix learn in real time that they're going to have to be better arbiters of quality yeah within their own ecosystem and i also think that people are now realizing that like just because something's on the internet does not mean it will last forever things were pulled 
and there's no record of them anywhere. Yeah, and that is so funny. There's a lot of those movies I have, and I'm like, oh, this this is this is this is like worthy now because it doesn't yeah, exist anymore. Because it doesn't exist. I remember that um, the Louis C.K. movie, I Love You, Daddy. I yep. have seen that movie. I have too, and I remember for now it's available on the torrents. Yes, like, it widely. is. Okay, but uh, for a while you couldn't get it on the torrents, and we had a screener copy of it at yeah. home. And yeah, he bought back his own movie because of yeah his everything whole that thing happened. and yeah. everything blah blah blah. Uh, and man, watching that, I'm oh like, no, I was there at the premiere of that. Oh, were you? Really? And so you got the actual good experience. Girl, I saw it at the premiere, and I remember seeing it at the premiere and being like which by the way it's not a bad movie i don't no, want to like it's defend. actually and charlie day in it i'm just gonna say he is <laughs> so crazy good. he's crazy so good he's he's really good in that movie and i don't really like chloe grace moretz like in other her roles but, but she she's was, really good she in it. sold it this was the so crazy is actually it. really good so crazy when i think about it it's like we missed louis ck the director because he absolutely would have been a director in demand after that and could have like had an entirely different and career and the movie's funny yeah and the movie's That's funny the worst part or but the best now part. looking back <laughs> on it I'm like this feels like a confession <laughs> and maybe it is but you know what I like though is that it's like kind of in the style of Woody Allen and so like that's he, why it also feels that's like what a confession I mean. but like, like but, is he, but is he aping Woody Allen or is he aping his real life like who I think knows? he's aping his real life like that is the part of it that makes me so disturbed by it is I would say so many good things about that movie but the minute I realized the man that that made it I'm almost like this movie is, is probably what you were trying to do to give cover I don't know, but he bought it back, and I think that's one of the smartest things he could have done. That's true. But it, it is did. it is all over the torrents now, so it people can't see it. No, but it, there it, was a, a short period of time where no one could see that movie. No, I, I remember being like a badge of honor. It's like I saw you. I saw it that night, and and again, it's just what, what was the audience like that night? They loved it. It was funny. It like played fairly well, not great because again, even that night, I think some of the people were like this is a little too on the nose because he has young daughters. Yeah. Like it was a little too creepy because that guy in it is very despicable as far as how he treats women. The whole thing is uncomfortable. And it makes my skin it's crawl. It's sort of like when Chris Rock did I Think I Love My Wife and then you found out he was cheating on his wife. Oh, I it's did, like, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's too much of a confession. The, the, the only thing I would add to this because I don't want to spend too much time on Louis C.K. Speaking of confessions, I did want to add this. So we're talking about superheroes because Christopher Nolan, I, I contend that Blade is the movie that gave us the modern MCU. Yes, I would agree with that. And I was actually shocked as a viewer when I learned that Blade was like MCU technically. Yes, like, it is. The hilarity though, is I believe that Christopher Nolan is more the godfather of our current superhero discontent than Stan Lee ever could be. Because what he showed was possible with The Dark Knight and with that trilogy, as far as the eventization of it, mm. the buildup over a series of films, that aspect is what gave us the MCU. Because before that, they were just so much more disparate. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then they kind of all brought it together and all of a sudden they were building But the idea of one director it. sort of like, that's the reason why at the beginning they would always let these directors direct all three. Yeah. They all wanted them to make their own little like Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah, and we kind of, we saw that with the new Halloween remakes with yes. David Gordon Green and maybe he's doing The Exorcist 3, maybe not. Yeah. I have no comment. We'll see, we'll see. I have no comment. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Uh, but the thing I think is interesting about that is if you look at the movie Oppenheimer, I have a weird, stupid, like cinema theory, and it's just a theory. My thought is there is an argument to be made that Christopher Nolan is, is having a lament 
on his self being the godfather of superhero movies and oh, what it yeah. has done to cinema. Yeah, because he did this great thing that also did this terrible... Well, I'm going to put terrible in air quotes because some people really yeah. love those. I mean, but. yeah, exactly. Like, But I think there's something to be said for, and I do not want to say that I think this is real, but I think there's enough evidence to say how much Christopher Nolan puts himself in his lead characters or at least mm-hmm. in one of the characters in this film that that dude is really grappling with because you think about what so like the superhero movies are the atomic bomb and if he in some ways is not the godfather of them but he no more than he is of atomic theory but he perfected it into a way and made this great big thing that everybody that's loved. a great reading of it I really think that the man is commenting on that that's a great reading. I think another thing though that, that's going to have to happen to have this like renaissance of cinema that we yeah. I'm so desperately praying for yeah. now that you've brought this up this possibility up to me is I think creativity is going to have to be handed back to the director. Yes. Because I feel like creativity has been kind of taken by executives necessarily or producers and the the the, the churning of development. See, I disagree. I I will disagree maybe because I know some good development people, but yeah. I'll push back on it. I think Autourism is mm-hmm. actually what got us into this place you in the first so? place. Because when you go back and look at all of these movies that we love that are so great and you look at the behind the scenes, it's not Steven. It's not even Quentin. It's not a singular voice. It's that they knew how to hire the right. Yeah, but like they knew how to hire, but they're, it's not necessarily their producers that are just controlling everything. You think, you think it's still... I still think this is the one thing I will tell you is I've actually seen good movies become great through the development process okay, and I've watched good. good movies become terrible through the development You've process. You've seen both sides. But I would tell you, creativity needs to come from the director, but you need to have creative-minded executives who understand. It's sort of like this. A creative is a star football player or mm-hmm. a star coach and the, the development people is the GM. You do need somebody who knows good answers, new questions to ask, and good whatever it has. It, what ends up problem is when the studio and the director feel like they're always at odds mm-hmm. and that the, they, the director doesn't have any faith in the studio because they know the people on the other side of them know less. And that comes from having, if you want to know who's the best at nurturing artists right now, it's Universal. I, full disclosure, I work for NBC Universal. They're owned by our same company. Oh. But your time's up. Jackson. My time is up. There we go. Our time is up, but Jacqueline, is there any final thought that you'd like to leave the audience with? All I will say is that currently the best studio for art, artist development and studio idea development, the studio that gave us Get Out, the studio that has given us a lot of great movies, was Universal, and all of those movies became better through development. That's and so great. I would just say that like we have a lot of bad execs right now. We have a lot of basically like people that are just money pushers mm-hmm. that know nothing about like movie history. He's a good creative executive is a positive force. Yes. And that's the problem. A lot of the people that are running these studios now just see every movie as a line on a balance sheet. That's unfortunate. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully that changes. Thank you, Jacqueline, for coming on the show. If you'd like to keep up with Jacqueline, you can check her out on her website, JacquelineColey.com, or on the podcast, Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Thank you for having me, Gala. Thanks for coming on. I'm Gala Avery, and this has been The Gala Show. The Gala Show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023, all rights reserved.
despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.